Father, I thank you we stand in the presence of God, a holy God, a holy triune God. Lord, we are so grateful that you are holy. Because you're holy, God is love. Thank you for the holy fire, the holy power of that love that possesses us and gives us all your promises and teaches us right from wrong, guides us in the right way, the eternal way. I thank you, Lord, you take the submission of our hearts and you then work to make us like Jesus. And so we're very grateful. We give thanks to the Lord and ask that today you give us more of your Holy Spirit and today put your word in us and open our eyes to see and to understand. Open the eye of our understanding, we pray, by the grace of God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, friends. Please be seated. And uh, hospitality. Last week, Philip, with great conviction, brought us words regarding hospitality, especially the care of strangers. And he has asked me if I would give you my perspective on the subject. Back in 1976, Hayes and I were in our first church in Narrabri. We were a mere 23 or maybe 24 by the time this happened. But driving home one night through the town of Narrabri on the southern side, it was nine o'clock in the evening. It was the middle of winter. It was cold. And I saw walking along the street, trudging on the other side of the road in bare feet and just a cotton shirt, a, uh, a young man. And just walking southwards on the road out of Narrabri. So I stopped and spoke to him and picked him up. He was 17 years old. He said he was walking to Adelaide to get back to people he knew. He'd been in Brisbane. He must have hitchhiked a bit. But he had nothing except what was on him. No shoes, cotton shirt, cold, middle of winter. And here it is, 9 o'clock at night, still walking, walking, walking. I, I took him home. So we put him in our house. You know, we had, we had plenty of room. No, he gets, a, he gets a bedroom. We feed him. We clothe him. Very next day, going to get him shoes, get him more clothes. He stayed with us a little while. We got him a job. He got himself established. Uh, we led him to Christ. Later on, he went on his way, a few months later, on his way to Adelaide. I don't remember his name. I've been scratching the memory banks. You know, was it David? Was it Stephen? You know, no, it won't quite come. That was 47 years ago. He'd be 64 today. But there was someone um, lost and lonely and homeless and had no money. And um, well, we took him in. And, um, and, you know, brought him to faith. And he wasn't the only one. Um, in two years, 24 alcoholics I led to the Lord, but a lot of them by just sitting and talking with them at length after they'd 
come looking for a feed or clothing or a bed for the night. We often gave them a bed for the night. I came home one night, late at night, 11 o'clock, host and I get home. We go to bed and we hear this racket singing, drunken singing. And it was under the floorboards. So I go out at night looking, sure enough, there's some drunken alcoholic crawled in the manhole in the back. Our house was about this far off the ground. He crawled in there and he, he was singing away. <laughs> we hauled him out of there. But no, we, we got, him, got a mattress, gave him a bed for the night. <laughs> but I remember one night, and I think it was the night that um, I went, I, I, I was spending a half night of prayer in church. The church was next door, Salvation Army Church in Narrabri. And I think it's because Hazel had um, got a word from the Lord, we're going to have children. And then she'd fallen pregnant. And I decided I was go over there, half an hour of prayer, thank the Lord for the baby and give the Lord the honor of naming the baby, uh, which he did all of that. And I was there till 11 or 11.30. But late in the evening, I'm hearing these, these sounds outside, this clanking and cracking and banging sounds. And I ignored it while I was in the church building. But when I came out, lo and behold, broken down right in front. There they are at the curb. The church was here in the house. Here. And right in front of the house was a car with a flat tire. And um, the wife was heavily pregnant, seven or eight months, youngish couple, a little bit older than us. We were 23. So, you know, they might have given us uh, five years or more. And it turned out he had a flat tire and the car stopped right there. But when he got out the spare to put it on, he was driving a Falcon and discovered it was a Holden spare. The wheel would not fit on the car. So with his jack, he was raising and lowering the wheel hub onto the spare tire, hoping to get the tire off the wheel so he could fit that tire then on the other wheel. And of course, all he had was the weight of the car lowering. I mean, hopeless task, right? <laughs> what do you do? No. Bring them in. You know, up at 11 at night, get them food, give them a good bed, take care of them. Next morning, you know, good breakfast. Spend time with them talking, sharing Christ, praying with them. And we did share Christ. They, they expressed faith. Take him down the wreckers, find the wheel he needs. Get it all sorted out. Get the car rigged up. See them on their way. Well, we did plenty of it. In, in fact... Uh, so much of it in those years. Now we're on the Newell Highway. We were Salvation Army. House was next to the church, so not hard to find us. But it's amazing how many people um, just, just fell into our circumstances. It was more than accidental. And it turned out it was the Lord. He was, he was finding us a welcome place for people he was dealing with and people in need. And, you know, there was a lot of it. And I said to him, Lord, one day, you know, how come there's so much? And he said, because I have no one else. So on this long road, Adelaide to Brisbane, the Newell Highway, it seemed the Lord had very few servants that he could trust to, to drop strangers in their laps, knowing they'd be cared for and brought to faith. You, you, weren't in, you weren't in our circumstances. You won't see near so many people. 
But if you're willing to help people, every now and again, the Lord will drop someone in your lap. And, uh, you know, is your heart open to care for them? You know, we never even thought about it. It wasn't as if we'd made a conscious decision, oh, as Christians, we're supposed to be hospitable. We never thought, well, this is how you serve Christ. It, it was second nature simply because we knew the Lord and we, we somehow had hearts filled with love for care for people. So it, it was the natural fruit of lives, that hearts that had been just given to the Lord. The natural fruit of the Christian faith is hospitality and love, care for souls, care for the lost, concern for those who are suffering, meeting the needs of those who have lack. That is the natural, fruitful position of service that Christians give. Um, we were here living in Norman Gardens years and years ago and get a phone call from the Patsons who were moving up from Brisbane but had nowhere to go. They needed to get to Rockhampton and find a place to stay. The only reason they rang was uh, I happened to be a Baptist pastor so they were asking did I know of anywhere they might be able to go. Our immediate reaction was well you can have our house and you know we're going away three weeks holiday no problem you can stay right here. So they moved in had one baby uh, Noel talks about it to this day and they're still here. They haven't left us yet. <laughs> uh, you know, where would you be? It was just the natural reaction. No second thought required. In uh, Cowra years ago when I was the Salvation Army officer there, that was my second appointment. And it was 1979 by this time. And of course, you know, we were always in the business of someone came to the door needing food, you'd get them a, a food voucher down for the local supermarket. If they needed clothes, you'd, you, you had stuff you could, uh, anybody had any problem, you'd attend to it. Um, it was the culture. It was the culture of the Salvation Army that any need you saw, you did something about it. Now, um, anyway, a lady comes along one day and she's got four kids and she's asking for a bit of help. She, she'd just arrived in Cowra and um, was just setting themselves up and, um, but she didn't have much and she just came along asking for something. I can't remember whether she asked for, if we had any second-hand furniture. So, um, but whatever I heard, but I heard the Lord say, treat her like you would your own mother. So we went out of our way to find out. It turns out she'd fled from Queensland from a terrible domestic violence situation, taking the four kids, fled to New South Wales and was hiding. And uh, we got a house for her and I rounded up furniture. We furnished that house, clothing, you know, cash, just bent over backwards to do everything we could to not only provide for them, but to befriend them. She came to Christ. I suppose at the time her eldest daughter was 15. She had four kids. And so they're all that kind of like 15, 13, 11, nine. Um, 
So how old would she have been with a 15-year-old? She might have been 35. She, um, yeah, she came to Christ and really came to faith, so did the kids, but she served the Lord in the Salvation Army, out serving people on the streets, doing stuff till her dying day. I think it was Lismore she ended up in and till, till great age. Um, anyway, treat her as you would your mother. <clears throat> now, um, Hazel keeps records of most of the people who've been to our house. And there's not a few. We got, we got books full of these visits. Um, not saying we got them all. There was one guy walking around Australia once. He, I don't think he was a Christian, but he had a kind of a charitable project. He was pull, walking and pulling this trailer with his stuff and signs and flags. And he was raising money for something or other. Right here, we took him in. I don't know how we came into contact with him. We took him in. He stayed with us for days. We talked with him, prayed with him, sent him on his way. We did this kind of thing all the time. We had a, we had a Pakistani fellow turn up here one day. He'd somehow become a, a refugee, fled, ended up in Canada, somehow got himself here. We took him in as well. Um, today, he's a pastor established in Sydney, does a lot of mission work back into Pakistan, uh, and he's a son. 2004, we're doing a conference in Wellington, and uh, you know, a bunch of locals were there, a bunch of our people too, but some strangers turned up, sat up the back, he was a suit and tie, uh, was a pastor from Victoria. I walked up to say hello to them and um, invited them to come visit us, come stay in our house. Turns out he had put a fleece before the Lord about, you know, if he, because he was come thinking, is this, is this the real apostolic or not? He'd had his fingers burned. Is this real or not? He put a fleece before the Lord and say, Lord, if he invites me to come visit him, I'll believe. So the first thing he hears from me is, anyway, they came and stayed. This is Rodney and Daphne Samuels, the dearest friends to this day. Just love them. And uh, they brought us a gift. It was December 2004. Uh, and it's the clock that hangs inside our back door. If you're in the house, you see that clock. And it means so much to me to have had that gift, have their friendship. Uh, it broke down once, so I went and bought a whole new works for it and set the thing up again. And, uh, you know, just because I wanted to keep the clock. Anyways, a whole lot of good comes out of this, you know, the advancement of the kingdom, the blessing of people's lives. Um, a few more random ones. We got a phone call one day, it was in 2005, from a fellow in Port Macquarie. He was a Baptist, not, not the pastor, but he was a fellow in the church there and his daughter was coming to, his teenage daughter was coming to Rockhampton to do a 12-week course at the university. She wasn't a Christian. He was worried about her. He, he wanted to know if there was some secure place he could put her so that she'd be safe in Rockhampton. Well, we just took her straight in. We took care of her for three months for, the, uh, for her sake as well as her dad's sake. In more recent years, just a few years ago, one Sunday morning, a young woman here turned up, a believer, but a weak believer, strong in some ways, weak in other ways. And she was in the most compromising situation you could imagine. She'd come up from down south and you can believe how difficult the situation was. And, um, but she'd come to church. No, we took her in. She lived with us for two months, three months. We got her set up uh, in accommodation, jobs and so on and so forth. So we've done lots of it. Admittedly, we're in an unusual position where we will do or have the opportunity to do a lot more of this than other people. 
but still. Um, I'm just saying this is normal Christianity to do what you can for strangers, whether they're believers or not believers. By the way, a lot of of strangers are believers and the Lord wants to take care of them, Uh, which is why we've had uh, numbers of overseas visitors. We've got American three people coming very soon who are not in the ministry. We've never met them before. But, but they know other people that we know, and so we get those kind of contacts too. And, and uh, you know, you pray, but you get a witness of the Spirit, and sure, you take care of people for a few days. And um, all the while, you know, so into their lives. Uh, John Christian was another one of those, you know, uh, bump into them in Singapore, go to visit them in India. Turns out his dad had a heart condition and he wanted a father for his son. So eventually we brought John here for a whole year. But then we had Matthias turn up one Sunday. He came for a weekend just to visit the church. He's heard about the church in Switzerland. We invited him to stay. He stayed a year in our house, no board. And he, got, and he, he was a tradesman, but I let him use all my tools to go out and earn money. I did have to have a little chat with him about how to look after tools because he was a tradesman. Tradesmen treat their tools terribly. You know, they're in a hurry, rough, you know, chuck tools back in the bag, grab another one. They're power tools, jumbled up in a bag, all looking a mess. Mine, beautiful. After five years, still look like the day I bought them. So I did have a little chat with him (laughs) about keeping paint specks off my drill. You know, (laughs) no scratches. (laughs) Anyway, all part of the fun. But, you know, Matthias become a great friend to us all. So we've not, we've not hesitated to feed people, accommodated people. And it is of critical importance to anyone who thinks they're a Christian leader. Because the Bible puts this priority upon it. Uh, could I say in all of this that in hospitality the Bible puts a particularly strong emphasis on, enter, on taking care of Christians who are strangers. We, we love the poor. You love your enemies. Uh, the instruction of Scripture is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Like if, if you'd like someone to help you in your need, you always help someone else in their need. This is all unbelievers. Do good to all men, Scripture says. But when it comes to believers not just those you know. Yes, when it comes to those you know, like we all know each other here and we know some of the other Christians in the city. Yes, we're meant to be reaching out to one another. In fact, the Bible has very strong instruction about honouring one another above yourselves, holding love for each other really deeply in your heart, sharing your lives together, serving one another. You see someone with a need, serve them. There's a big emphasis on that. But there's a very big emphasis in the New Testament on entertaining strangers, but I think invariably in every case, the strangers being referred to is quite specific from the context, are Christian strangers. In other words, Christian travelers. Now you bear in mind this was written back in a day when you didn't have, you didn't have all the money we have, you know, the freedom we have, but neither were there hotels and restaurants everywhere. Like when Paul the apostle traveled and a whole lot of other, in fact, in the early church, there were a lot of traveling preachers. And they were strangers. They weren't well known. They would carry letters from some other church just to say who they were. And, and, and the encouragement of the epistles is wherever these people turn up, care for them. 
you know, love them. If you, if you receive a traveling minister and, and Christ has sent them, you're receiving Christ, this kind of thing. I want to show you in particular from the scriptures here how passages you take as being general are very often actually passages about Christians uh, whom you don't know. But um, anyway, first of all, let's find out what Paul had to say about leaders. Now, as you know, Paul wrote to both Timothy and Titus. So he's writing to young apostles who were under his care and he's instructing them about raising elders, that is, and deacons, raising leaders for the church in the cities. Of course, for elders, read pastors, you know, identifying who are the pastoral leaders of congregations, raising them, putting them in place. But look what he says. Now, we're not going to read the whole passage of his description of the lives these people have to live, just pulling bits out of the middle of these two. First of all, to Titus, 1 Timothy, uh, sorry, to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, and verses 2 and 3, he says, Therefore an overseer, I guess it'll appear in a minute, must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. That, that, that word comes in on these lists, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. There it is. It, it finally made it. Now jump to the next one, Titus 1, 7 to 8. There's a, there's a similar list he writes to another fellow. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And then when you go to what Paul wrote to the Romans, in fact, in my Bible, I don't mean yours, but you know, the Bible translators or publishers usually will put a, a heading over sections. Now, those headings are not Holy Scripture. They're just some intelligent Christian has decided what that passage is about. But in my Bible, the, the, the well, ESV, the heading is the marks of a true Christian. Anyway, we'll read what Paul said to Rome, in Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Oh, this whole passage is pretty important. But if we just think hospitality of, or care for strangers, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, this is to you and me. This is you and me here. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So that's an ongoing thing. People you're with all the time. But there's more. Do not be slothful in zeal. In other words, get, get passionate about your prayers, about your worship, your service for Christ. No sloth. Isn't sloth one of the seven deadly sins? Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, and contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. There you go. So let's go now to this famous passage, one that Philip used last week in a, in a general way. But let me show you something specific that's in it. This is the great story Jesus tells. It's not exactly a parable. It's it's a description of the final judgment. Sheep and goats judgment. Great white throne, he comes. So it's not a parable, remember? He is telling you what is going to happen. We just take out one little piece. This is where, verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father. Hopefully, just put the pause button on. Hopefully, friends, it's every one of you. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. Now, who was hungry? 
Jesus says he was. And you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? There's the hospitality bit, not that it all isn't. Or naked and clothe you. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them truly. As I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers. Uh, in, in another place in this whole story, he says, these brothers of mine, you did it to me. Jesus is not in this passage referring to all people. He's referring to Christians, these brothers. The way you treat a Christian stranger the way you treat a Christian in hospital, a Christian in prison, a Christian hungry, a Christian struggling, a Christian persecuted, it, that person is Christ. Let me prove it to you. Matthew 12, 48 to 50, Jesus replied to the man who told him, who is my mother? Oh no, he replied. This is what Jesus, Jesus says back to this fellow. Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So in the in a final judgment, there, it's not the whole story, but there is a component with respect to how you have treated other believers who are strangers and in need. Because as far as Jesus is concerned, that is me. And it is because we are the body of Christ. We are joined together. And here's, here's a very telling passage in Acts 9, first five verses. But Paul, uh, Saul, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Against who? Against disciples. The very ones Jesus mentioned. He says, stretching out his hand to his disciples, he said. So Saul, breathing murder against disciples, went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he went in his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. If whatever you have done to the least, he said, the least brother or sister in Christ, you have done to me. Please be clear. The Bible puts a wonderful emphasis on it. This is why, by the way, in the New Testament, such, there was such a major emphasis placed upon offerings for the poor in Judea. There was a terrible drought. Um, the church in Jerusalem was so persecuted. They were the neediest Christians in the whole world for a whole generation. And Gentile churches in other parts of the world, inspired by the apostles, 
took offerings, big offerings, to send to aid the saints in Jerusalem. And when you read the epistles, you'll see it features there big time. So now, let's go to another passage we had to look at last week, 1 Peter 4, 8 to 11. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Like I'm, I am so thankful that Scripture is in the Bible and is in more than one place. I am so thankful. I have plenty of sins, but I'm so thankful that um, it's not just his love for me, but he has, he has, he has so put love in me for, for other people. He's um, more willing, shall we say, to, to tolerate me and persevere with me than, than he otherwise might. And you should be as grateful too. And uh, that's why the Bible says, let, let, your, your translation will probably say, let love be genuine. It's a lousy translation because, well, English, you can't do everything with any language. Actually said, let love be without dissimulation, which means without hypocrisy. No pretense. But here we come to 1 Peter 4, 8 to 11. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And here's the text. Show hospitality to one another. See the one another phrase? It's not just show hospitality to strangers. It's this, it's the one another component without grumbling. Um, And see, Hose and I weren't grumbling. Way back when we were kind of overburdened with a certain measure of this and saying, Lord, why, why is there so much, you know? Is there not some relief? I, I have no one else. He wanted to care for people. We didn't grumble. We kept persevering. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who, yeah, serving one another. The whole passage is about that. Whoever serves, whoever speaks in order that in everything God may be glorified. Ah, now, we're nearly done here, but we've got to go to John. This is very instructive. When we get to the third epistle of John, we find something that is most interesting. And uh, so John writes and says to them, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now now look at what he says now. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. So these were the traveling preachers. Strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. Imagine that if the ministers of Christ or other Christians whom you've gone out of your way to love, strangers who had need, then were so thankful to God or went back to some other church and, and, go in, and thanked them for the love, that, that there is a memorial that goes up for eternity. You, 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 you hardly begin to understand why the scripture says that the, these momentary struggles are earning for you a, a huge weight of glory, huge reward. So brothers, verse 5, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You want that testimony. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. But now it takes a little twist. So if I come 
well, in between, in the verse I haven't read, he talks about a leader who was in that, in a certain church, who was a pain in the neck. He was controlling and manipulative uh, and worse. He even locked the apostles out. And it's about this fellow, John's now speaking, and he says, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense about us and not with and not content with that, as if it gets worse, not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. You, you see the highest door being put on, the attitude of heart, caring for the Lord's strangers. And it also stops those who want to. Who, so in other words, this fellow's even stopping other people who wanted to show hospitality to Christian strangers. And he puts them out of the church. So a wicked fellow. Imagine having that as your memorial testimony on Judgment Day. Not just any, written in the Bible. Oh, let's not go there. Anyway, we're going to do a corporate reading to kind of close out here. But uh, for a little lighthearted, could I say that Hayes and I in all of this have also been very mindful that um, strangers sometimes come with baggage. And sometimes baggage you don't want. And um, we can tell you some interesting stories there too. Fortunately, they're minority. But you have got to be very mindful, thoughtful, prayerful, and know how to guard in certain circumstances if you have children in your home. We are not unmindful of that. And um, when we built our house, we never built it with this in view. It was what might, you might call... Um, you know, a happy circumstance. But in fact, the Lord must have seen ahead that we were going to bring in many, many people to stay in a house. So a house has somehow miraculously got two wings of bedrooms with all the living area in between. And all, all of our young children have always been in our wing with us. And uh, the door at the head of that hallway is lockable with... Uh, a bar. So uh, it was fine for David and Philip as, you know, strapping great teenagers to be down the other end, but not our little kids. They were up with us. Now, admittedly, you know, a lot of people can't do that, but you bear in mind, we have gone over and above in having so many people in our home. Way back when we had children, we don't have children now like, like that. Well, once again, though, that security is all there in case. So no, we were mindful of the need. Sleepovers, Never. Um, our kids never sleep over anywhere. Never, ever, ever. Neither should anybody. Because one in ten, one in a hundred, one in a thousand, you do not know what is a secret sin in somebody's life. And in this day and age, you know enough to not be so stupid as to send your little kids off to anybody's house for a sleepover. Um, we're always happy to receive kids, but we wouldn't send them. Um, Tell you a funny story, really funny story, not one of mine. Well, it is now. I, um, I met a fellow years ago in America. He was in his 80s and he was English and he had at different times in his more mature years been the denominational head of not one but two denominations in England. He was the dearest, most gracious man and, and whenever he stood to speak in his retirement, he only ever spoke of Jesus. 
He told me his secret was every Sunday morning before he ever went out to preach, he would sit and soak himself in the revelation of Christ that John had on Patmos in Revelation chapter 1. When he'd speak of Jesus, people would weep. And uh, the dearest man. But he told me a funny story from when he, as a younger pastor in England, had gone to visit. He'd been asked to come and speak in a church somewhere. And he went and they put him in this family house to stay for a couple of nights. Well, it must have been one night, Saturday night. Must have turned up, did a Saturday meeting, was there to do Sunday meeting and leave. So he gets to this house, and English houses, they're kind of on the outside, they look a bit small, but they go up three and four levels, you know, and I've stayed in some of those, and uh, they're a lot bigger than you think they are, you know, one room behind another and a whole bunch piled up. And uh, so they put him right up in the top. There was a bedroom on the topmost floor. And this, this was an English couple that had a couple of, couple of girls, like, you know, eight or ten years old. So he... Um, they showed him his room and, you know, when he comes back for the night and retires, he discovered once he was in the room, the man of the house locked him in, locked the door from the outside. So he had no choice. He couldn't get out all night long until the next morning, breakfast time, the guy unlocked the door to let him out. The trouble was, in the early hours of the morning, he was just busting to go, busting to do a number two and didn't know how to solve the problem but he lit upon a solution. There was in the room a pot plant. So, you know, like that. He, he lifted the plant out of the pot and this became his chamber pot. <laughs> and then he put the plant back in. And that day had breakfast, packed his bag, went on his way and never said a word. <laughs> Two weeks later, he gets a letter in the mail. We know you did it, but where did you put it? <laughs> There's plenty of other funny stories, could be told, <laughs> on the receiving end of hospitality. <laughs> uh, anyway, dear friends, uh, with, you know, with prayerfulness and due caution, and yet, let's read, what's, let's read together. We're, just, we're going to slowly read a passage in the book of Hebrews now as we close. Just because I want... These words, verse by verse, just to wash over your souls and maybe we'll see one or two things as we go along. And um, I'm just, just reversing the order of it a little bit because we end on a, a better note. Here we go. So first of all, you read with me Hebrews 13 and 14 to 17, then we're going to read 1 to 8. So um, maybe we do the alternative reading. I'll read the first verse and you all read out loud the second verse. You ready? So, verse 14, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
Now we go back to verse 1 and read eight verses. Let brotherly love continue. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Yes, amen. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think what we should do is simply ask the Lord if by the Holy Spirit he'd make us all wise and understanding so that his word is alive in us. And that way, as we have opportunity to do good, whether reaching out to people we know well, opportunity of, of serving the needs of saints, we don't know them personally, but even the least of the brothers, we'll be generous, be willing to open our homes or be willing to take the time to go and do things for people. And at the same time, willing to do good for all men, as the scripture says, men simply a generic word for people. I'm going to ask the Lord if he would grant you his mind. You know, really the heart of God. Remember scripture says of King David, he was a man after God's own heart. Ever since Christians have been praying that prayer, they want to be, they want that grace. And, and so should you. Let's just quieten, the, quieten our hearts before the Lord. And Father, I thank you that together we can pray this prayer. I ask that the mind of the Lord would fully be formed, be fully formed in your people. The people of peace and also our visitors and our young and our older. The mind of the Lord within. I ask that for each scripture would come alive. I ask that you'd open the minds of all to understand Holy Scripture. And I ask you, Lord, you'd put your heart, the heart of the Lord Jesus, who said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The heart of the Lord Jesus in us all, for we are one. And we're still in the body. Lord, you've said that we reap what we sow. And I thank you. We've already reaped the kindness of the Lord and the providence of God and and we can sow it with all assurance that you will give us all the more. I thank you we'll not run out of ability to serve other people. We'll not run out of being able to feed people and clothe them. We'll not run out of money when we give money to other people. I thank you because we are your hands. And I thank you we're also your wallet.
Thank you, Lord, you know how to fill wallets. We praise God. Lord, our real need is not the money in the wallet. It's not the strength in the body. It's having the right heart, the right understanding. I ask that you'd give us that heart. I pray for all of our people today that you'd put into each one and all. And not only those here, but those online, those all over the world, put into them today the very heart of Jesus and the very mind of the Spirit in these matters, in this matter and other like matters. May understanding flood the heart of our people. And thank you, Lord, make us fruitful. Make us a fruitful people in loving one another, in loving all the saints, in loving Christ, and in serving the, the city in which we live and the people who are around us. And so we thank you. It is the Lord God who will make us all the more a fruitful people. We praise God today. Yes, amen.